1: Alex, I'm going to start the podcast this week by reading you a tweet of an old friend of ours. And I know we're not supposed to read tweets on podcasts, but I'm breaking that rule right
2: off the bat. Let, let alone start the podcast off. We'll get, get them out of the way.
1: Yeah. People will be fine with it because it's our friend Ross Stripling.
2: Oh, yes. Okay. I'm excited for this.
1: Snowed in, no power, and the market isn't even open. Tough Monday. Agreed, Ross Stripling. Oh, that it is, is a, a tough, tough Monday. a tough
2: Monday. Ross Tripling opened up his Charles Schwab and was like, fuck, I have to wait until tomorrow to buy more of that Pfizer stock. Fintech.
1: That's, that's where he invests. Fintech. Was Ross Tripling vocal about, you know, the goings on in the stock market in the last couple months? Because I didn't see a lot about it. This guy, who I was led to believe, is the only person who knows anything about stocks with any connection to baseball. And I don't see any update on what Ross Tripling has to say about the shenanigans going on with short squeezes. What's what's that all about? Did I miss it, or did our listeners fail to send it to us, or was he just, you know, kind of embarrassingly silent on the whole matter?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think he was pretty silent on the whole matter, which leads me to believe that he was also trying to short-sell GameStop stock. Short-sell GameStop stock. That's a sentence.
1: You think he was short-selling the GameStop stock, or do you think that he was jumping on the wave, bro? Well, was he Robin Hooding, or was he getting Robin Hooded? My thinking was
2: maybe he was getting Robin Hooded, because, you know, if he was doing the Robin Hooding, maybe he'd put the word out about it. But I could be wrong there. I don't know. What do we think? Is Ross Stripling more a man of the people? I feel like Ross Stripling spends a not insignificant amount of time on Reddit. I would buy that.
1: No, he's spending all his time on CNBC. That's true. I think the only way to find this out is to invite him on the podcast. Open so invite. Ro- Ross like open invite. Come on and talk about how you handled the last month of market mayhem. How's your portfolio looking? What are either those that, margins looking like? Either that or you have to hack into his bank account and see what really happened.
2: <laughs> Do you think he just has like a... Like a regular old bank, like, a, like if I waited down at the Wells Fargo on the corner down the street from Ross Serpling's house, would he like show up there? Like is that how baseball players do their money or is it like, you know, in four shell companies like overseas? Like what is the level of, of rich here that we're talking about?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Do, do really rich people have the same bank accounts that like you and I have? Right, yeah. Like Where they is, just have an app on their phone and they just go into it and, and that's like, how they. Oh handle it.
2: shoot! I have to pay off my Capital
1: One bill this month. I think that most really rich people have a financial manager, whether that's like a financial service that manages their money or whether that's one person who they've entrusted to handle their finances. But if you have if you have that much money, there's way too many things that you can accidentally screw up and lose it all by. Like I don't think that you can deposit like $652,000 into like you know a a Santander account on like a on like the 15th day of the month. I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> Ross Stripling
2: might be might might be the exception to the rule, you know? That maybe right. this is his MO right here. He's he's taking down the wire transfer himself. What do you think Ross Stripling thought about Occupy Wall Street?
1: I would love to I, know. <laughs> let's And let's, guess what? Yeah. The only place on planet Earth that would be willing to ask him about it is this podcast. So the world may never know until he agrees to come on the show. Okay, let's stop talking about Ross Stripling because the bit is kind of getting out of control here. We have a lot to get to this week, Alex, including um, Jack Flaherty's amazing Twitter rant, uh, minor league realignment, and the second edition of Open Season. But before we get to all that stuff, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley, and you, of course, are listening to Tipping Pitches, the only place brave enough to ask Ross Stripling about Occupy Wall Street. Dude, you know what I was thinking about last week a lot? What? Well, I mean, I've been thinking about the vaccine basically every second of every day for the last four months. Okay, Fair. But I was thinking about it in relation to the baseball season, because season's starting in like six weeks. And I have been led to believe that at some point over the course of this season, I will have the vaccine. I actually know people who have, the, have gotten both doses of the vaccine. So yeah. that leads me to believe it's real, which, you know, up until this point, who, who the hell knows? <laughs> and some teams are starting with 20% capacity. Or ten percent capacity. Like I think, both New York teams will have ten percent capacity fans there. Crazy by the, crazy by the time idea, the season but sure, starts. Yeah. Our friend and CEO of the Miami Marlins, Derek Dieter just came out and said they will have twenty percent capacity at their games this year. So, I mean, they usually do anyway. So, that's, ooh, ooh, oh. that was a layup. Is, that was easy. The, the real question is, can they get to twenty percent
0: attendance? <laughs>
1: Oh, man, tough beat for the Marlins in the first five minutes of the podcast. No, the reason I was thinking about it is because, you know, people keep telling me the vaccine will be widely available by April, May, June at the latest. Well, the baseball season last time I checked was scheduled to go all the way through October as it always does every year. And that would lead me to believe that we might be going to baseball games this year. You might be able to fly here safely if you wanted to. And we might be able to go to a Dodgers game together or a Padres game together. And I don't even have some grand point to make here, which is why I don't know why I'm leaving the podcast off with this. (laughs) Other than the fact that can you picture in your head flying here, us putting on masks and going to a baseball game together and just sitting there and feeling any kind of normal at all? Any normalcy there? Not even close. No, of course not. Of course not. I'm not going to feel normal at a baseball game this year i don't I don't even know if i'm going to be able to get myself up and go
2: yeah i don't know there i mean there's so many unknowns why it is wildly irresponsible to just speculate about what vaccine rollout will look like over this course of the summer like i have no I have no clue, but it given how somewhat sluggish, I know things have been picking up with distribution lately, but it's been kind of a rocky start to things. It's crazy to me to think, oh, yeah, in three months, there are going to be fans in stadiums at baseball games. like Safely. Because there were fans at the World Series, need I remind you. Well, yeah, yes, yeah. But I- exactly, j- just that, that we are are really taking everything we did last year and saying, well, it mostly worked out. We didn't have to deal with any major PR fiascos, the worst of which was Justin Turner. So like... Newest Dodger. And and, oldest Dodger. And oldest Dodger. So they're just like, run it back. It makes sense. Yeah. I get it. But I I imagine there will be a not insignificant amount of fans out there like you and I who say, you know what? Maybe maybe we should pump the brakes on this a little bit. Maybe I'm not going to go and get tickets to opening day.
1: Oh, I don't think I'm going to get tickets to opening day. And none of the California teams are going to have people in the stands on opening day. However, I'm not not going to go this year. If I have the vaccine and I know that other people have the vaccine and, you know, some degree of normalcy has resumed, even if it means wearing masks, masks while you're filing in and then, you know, taking them off once you sit down at your seat or whatever it might be, whatever it is the version of normalcy that the people I kind of trust tell me to, to live, <laughs> then I will be going to games. I'm just saying, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it because I, I, I'm trying to think three months ahead here and picture myself at a baseball game feeling any kind of normal with strangers sitting three seats away from me. And I just don't, I don't know. And that anxiety is like festering already. And I know I'm just going to have to confront it, confront it you know, headfirst. And I know a lot of people listening to this are probably going to have to confront it headfirst as well.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I don't even feel comfortable doing outdoor dining right now, right? Like, so am I in three months going to feel comfortable doing outdoor dining with 20,000
1: people? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know about that. I mean, if you have the vaccine, in theory, you should feel comfortable, but it's I, just there's I, so yes. many unknowns, right? There's mm-hmm. so many. I have not done outdoor dining at all. I have not done outdoor anything other yeah. than taking my dog out so she doesn't poop in the house.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Also, really, really bold assumption that we're going to have the vaccine by May or June, which like I'm I'm going to take the over on that time frame. I'm just could be wrong, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, I tend to take the over on things like that, too. Unexpecting governments to function uh fluidly.
2: Yeah. Maybe maybe package it with a U2 album and it'll just show up at our front door unexpectedly. You know? Yeah. Yes. That'll be good. That's the fastest way to get it out.
1: Um okay, should we talk about real stuff and not just my personal anxieties? Please. Um well I actually wanted to start, so we're gonna talk about Flarity in a second, but I actually wanted to start by asking you a question, a tough question. But one that I was asked, I appeared on the podcast Locked on Angels last week. That episode came out last Wednesday. Go check that podcast out. It's a uh, friend of the pod, Brent McGuire, hosts that show. And it's a good show if you want to keep up with the team that the best player in baseball is on. Um, but anyway, I appeared on that show. And he, Brent asked me kind of just generally, why is the labor conversation so important? and. We come on here on this podcast every week and we have the labor conversation, but generally we don't ask each other face to face, why is this so important for the landscape of baseball? And I kind of didn't know what to say right away. So I had to like sort of stammer through my answer at the beginning. So I I want to turn the question to you, turn the tables on you a little (laughs) bit and just ask you why primarily when you think about why it's important to have these conversations every week that we do, why is it so important? Because obviously you know, over the next couple of weeks as we continue to have the labor conversations and then even more importantly, next offseason, it's going to be kind of at the forefront of the conversation about Major League Baseball. So, Alex Baisley, why are workers important? I
2: mean, I think that the way that baseball fans consume baseball is so atomized and broken up into a million different pieces because owners kind of want you to think that there are a lot of forces at play that aren't necessarily connected to each other, but I think it's important for us to realize that a vast majority of what happens when we engage with baseball is a labor issue to some extent. Um, Because that's, I mean, because, you know, we live in a society, right? Like that's, this is, we live under capitalism and people are paid money to do things. And so when you are wondering why your ticket prices are so high, um, but the on-field product is not very good of your favorite team, like, hey, that's a labor issue. When you are um, wondering why your favorite team just traded your favorite player, that's a labor issue, right? When you wonder why Major League Baseball is trying to rush fans back into ballparks without a guaranteed vaccine... That's a labor issue, right? And so I think that there are a lot of really kind of independent one-off things that we see or or feel the the repercussions of as baseball fans. But it's important, I think, and I think that you think this as well, that we tie all that together and say, what is this, what does this say about the people who are running this sport? Because overall, it it really negatively impacts the way that. We engage with it and ultimately, I think, negatively impacts the long-term health of the sport. And so that, for me, I think is why we, I think it's important for us to get on here and talk about it every week, along with Ross Stripling's stock portfolio. Because you may not think about it, but Ross Stripling investing
1: in the Dow, that's labor too. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I think that you're right to center in that, and you know we don't literalize this too much, and it would be kind of uh, annoying and pointy headed to literalize it more often than just this one time that I'm asking you straight across the Zoom. You know, why do we talk about this as as frequently as we do? But I, I was wondering, and I was trying to come up with. A, a coherent and short answer for why people should care about this shit and
2: right. because because it's hard right it is it's, it's
1: really hard
2: yeah and and we're about like we're about to get into a conversation about Jack Flaherty and the St Louis Cardinals and, and salary arbitration. arbitration, yeah, and it's really easy to say, yeah, majority of fans really aren't gonna care if you know fifteen thousand dollars goes either way in the direction of the Cardinals or Jack Flaherty, right. And so, but positioning that one aspect in the in the larger landscape of where things lie financially in baseball, I think that's kind of where it's like, no, this is this is something that underpins
1: the the sport, right? Um, and even if you can't identify it immediately, you probably can tie the thing that you're mad about in the baseball world, and everybody's fucking mad about something. Everybody is mad about something in the baseball world. It's just the nature of being a baseball fan. You know, whether you're mad that you root for a team in New York that didn't spend up to its potential in the largest baseball market in the world for your entire life because your team owners were cheap and trying to recoup their debts, or whether you're mad that the A's are moving their ballpark finally and have finally settled on the location after years and years and years and still we don't even know if that's going to happen and still we don't know what type of people it's going to displace and what kind of economic effect it's going to have or whether you're mad that your team traded Francisco Lindor or you know whether you're mad like Alex said that your owners are charging you a ton of money and still not putting that towards the payroll you can tie it back to something else and that's the first reason that I wrote down here in thinking like what's the easiest way to explain why this stuff matters well It actually affects what happens to the sport in its most prominent package that we have available to us in this country, and that's Major League Baseball. Like, I don't want 16 teams to make the playoffs, but one side of the labor argument wants that, and it's the owners. So if I don't care about that issue, or if I don't voice my concern about that issue, or if I don't care about what gets traded for that issue... Then that's just a thing that I accept that happens to my sport, and I have to be mad about it, or I just have to come to accept it, which I think sucks. That sucks. Like, why should I just accept that we should just have a worse product so that owners can make more money? Like, think about that question for a second. Why should I accept that more than 50% of the league should make the postseason after playing 162 games, many of which? I paid to go see in person and all of which I paid an exorbitant amount of money for MLB TV to watch. Like, why should I accept with local blackouts, by the way? So why should I accept that then also it's still a diminished product so that owners can make a little bit more money? And maybe you don't feel that way about the playoffs specifically. Maybe you feel that way about Universal DH if you're an NL purist like me, or maybe you feel it that way about a number of other things. But that's number one. Number two is the Michael Bowen line. It's what your boss is doing to you on a larger scale, yeah. And that's exactly. why you should play it. That's why you should care about the players versus owners portion of the labor discussion.
2: Yeah, but this is also where we get into the
1: millionaires versus billionaires.
2: Yeah, well, and just but just beyond that, like the fucked up psyche of American people, you know, and the way that yes. we have kind of. You know, we just shoot ourselves in the foot every day. Like, this is this is this. I don't, we don't need to, we don't need to just rant about capitalism because that's not, there are a million podcasts that do that more effectively than us. But, like, you know, it's come hard. on, man. Let's throw our hat in the ring. <laughs> Here we I come, Chapo
1: Trap House. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah. It's, it's hard to say why do I, why should I care about this? Right. And even relating it back to your bosses, like half this country, wants to be the boss right so like more, more than, than half, half the country <laughs> yeah, more than half i would say actually a vast majority of the country so even that line of argument arguing is i think a little hard to kind of wrap your head around sometimes because it's like well yeah he earned those billions he should get to do with them what he pleases
1: yeah and that's where you get to the the hairy part of my third point here which is that if baseball is true and this is such a like a bullshit podcast brain argument to make here but here I go. If baseball is really quote unquote America's pastime, you know I asked you about that a couple weeks ago, then we should demand that it actually model something that we value. And in a in a non late capitalism ruined world, we actually used to value unions in this country. They actually used to matter to people and make people's lives better. And you look around the entire labor landscape that we have left in this country, and professional sports are kind of one of the last frontiers of very strong unions actually getting stuff for their members. And granted, most fans have a really hard time relating to that because the numbers are so blown out of proportion for what it would look like in a teacher's union versus school district negotiation or in an electrical workers union versus company local energy company negotiation but still like it's one of the most prominent examples and I I actually think and obviously I think this because we do this podcast every week and we come on here and defend the players association ad nauseum but I obviously think modeling that for people and then talking about how it's being modeled is a good way of showing to people that your union can actually get you stuff.
2: Yeah. Although in recent months we've seen just how much our uh our country cares about teachers' unions and their opinions on things. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're <that's-> always roadblocks. <laughs> but 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 you're right in that there is a a way to frame this of being like, look, these are our workers taking power. And again all things being equal like do i think that baseball as a sport is a proper way to spend hundreds of billions of dollars no probably not probably better uses for it but
1: money's fake anyway
2: money's money's fake anyway and if it's Would either- you rather
1: hundreds of billions of dollars get pumped into baseball or would you rather just reallocate that to hedge funds and defense spend oh wait they're already like... the same <laughs> <laughs> yes so it's
2: yeah it's it's hard to kind of wrap your your head around it sometimes and actually think about just the insane scope of the of the dealings being done but it's it matters man it it makes a difference it matters to just the health of the sport even just talking specifically baseball It matters what the sport's going to look like in 20, 30, 50 years.
1: These things have a ripple effect. But okay, so I I felt like that was an important place to start because, you know, if you look at it on face value, there is sort of a little bit of a logic gap into how I view the rest of the world versus how I view going onto Twitter.com and seeing Jack Flaherty tweeting about how he won his $3.9 million arbitration case, and me being like, get that money, King, become a millionaire. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. if you think about it, you think, if that was just some random, you know, investment broker bro, you would not be getting on Twitter and responding and being like, get that money, King. But this, it's slightly different. So, I let, I wanted to start there and kind of you know set the foundation for what we're about to talk about with Jack Flaherty, which we're not going to spend a ton of time on, but I wanted to talk to you about the arbitration process because it's in the news. Um, And Flaherty is probably the most public case because a lot of teams did settle their arbitration cases with two-year contracts or, you know, uh, it's become a recent trend where teams will buy out the full um, team control arbitration period. Um, But Flaherty's was the biggest case in the news last week where where him and his agent submitted $3.9 million for his salary for the 2021 season. And the Cardinals submitted $3 million. So. The Cardinals. In order to save $900,000. For, for a team with margins of. you know Running hundreds of millions of dollars. $100 million or more in payroll. They're trying to save $900,000. On a player that's only making $3.9 million. But is also maybe their best player. So. Flaherty wins the case. And goes to Twitter. And starts tweeting you know, funny GIFs and screenshots, tweeting a screenshot of Michael Jordan saying, and I took that personally. Um, and, and Cardinals fans, many of them were supportive of Flaherty and many of them were not because they're Cardinals fans. Um, is there any scenario in your mind, Alex Baisley, where it makes sense for a team to try to penny pinch out of $900,000 on one of their best young stars In order to save that money and and win this arbitration case. Like, if you had to play devil's advocate with me for a second here, what would you say? The reason... I mean, first of
2: all, owners are cheapskates, right? And they'll do whatever they can to pinch pennies here and there so they can get 10 or 15 or 20K back. Um, But you also kind of have to, like, play the role here. Because if you just admit to Jack Flaherty that, yes, he actually probably is a better baseball player than we're paying him for, and we should maybe compensate him for that, then you kind of start to admit that there are some inequities in this system and that just two, two sides coming to the table and agreeing on an amount in the middle is maybe a somewhat flawed way of of judging how how much this player is actually worth. Um, if you just say, screw it, Jack Flaherty will, will pay you 5 million this year because why not? Then we you have, have a dozen, the money, right? Because you have the money. Then you have a dozen players coming to you and saying, well, well, I'm worth that too. And, and that's not to say that teams have not done this sort of thing in the past where they say you know, we'll give you, we'll give you a million dollars this off season, even though you're still on your rookie contract. Like you had a great rookie, like let's do it. Um, but I do think that like, there's a part of it where owners have to like play their part at, at this point, because otherwise, and like I said, you start to admit that the system itself is faulty.
1: Yeah. I think, You know, I think you're right. And I think that's why owners do it. It's because they have to keep up this charade in order to make it seem any sort of legitimate that they would be paying Jack Flaherty this little to begin with. But let's pause there on how little they're paying him to begin with. Because I'm not coming out here and saying every rookie should make 30 million, you know, even if they're a top prospect, even though. Probably are bringing that much value, but I understand that it's such a fluctuating game that, you know, young players can be very, very good for a couple of years and then they can kind of burn out, you know, and and that makes sense to me. And it, it would make sense that not every young star should be locked into a 12 year contract for $400 million. I don't think even you and I would come on here and say that. So we would come on here and say that we should blow up the ownership structure of baseball to begin with. But that's a different conversation as it's currently constructed. I don't think that, you know, from the time he hit the majors, Jack Flaherty should be making 50 million a year. But Jack Flaherty has been very good for multiple years. He is projected to have the 10th most war of any pitcher in baseball next year by fan graphs. And he's making half of what J. Happ is making this year. And for what? Like for what? Because in a past iteration of the labor landscape of baseball, the answer to for what would be, well, because you don't make money when you're young. And then when you get past your team control years, then you hit pay dirt and you make a big contract in free agency. But the owners have not held their side of the bargain up on that former structure because they're not giving out those big contracts when you are nearing 30 anymore. unless you're some unbelievable superstar that you actually demand that value from owners if you're a Lindor or a Betts or a Trout but in terms of like guys who are just 32 and pretty good or even you know very good they're not getting super long contracts worth a lot of money like they used to and so if they have not if the owners have not held their side of the bargain up and i'm i'm not just making this up either like mlb salaries have gone down for three straight years while revenues have continued to go up and up and up. So there's got to be somewhere where it's not adding up here. And I'm telling you, based on the people who have done this research, it's the fact that people are not getting big free agency contracts after 30. So why can't people under 26 recuperate that money when they're actually creating the most value for the teams? It's just a completely ass backwards system that the owners are happy to benefit from, but are not willing to let the players argue on their own behalf and benefit from it as well.
2: And I want to tie this back to the conversation we had just prior to this about labor, why you should care about labor, why you should care about arbitration and Jack Flaherty's dispute with the Cardinals is because this is directly linked to the contracts that your team is doling out in the offseason. season or the contract that your team is trying to offload, right? That you're, whole, you're upset about Chris Davis's, you know, contract that he's sitting under. It's because the contract that he was given is largely a direct result of the arbitration process that underplays, underpays players at the beginning of their careers when they are the most productive, right? He's having That's, to demand
1: to be paid for past performance because he wasn't paid for the performance while he was performing. Right, exactly, so and you see a lot of
2: arguing, a lot of yelling about how Chris Davis is maybe the the least valuable player in baseball because of how much he's getting paid versus how much he's producing, and he he's dead weight, the orioles should cut. fans love to talk about this end of the spectrum, you know the the player who isn't good anymore and is supposedly getting paid more than he's worth. And you hear very little about the other end of players who are the at their absolute like athletic peak and are being paid penalties compared to the actual value they are bringing to the the team, so I think that's that's why when we get on here and say, "Get that bag, jack flaherty like that's what that's what we mean because because he's not going to get that insanely bloated contract in five or six years because teams have grown smarter than that and said, we
1: don't don't have to pay you for past performance anymore. That's like the stated position of front offices now is that they won't pay for past performance. So if you won't pay for past performance and you have it structured so that you don't have to pay for current performance, what performance are you paying for? And that's the performance that they're willing to pay for is superstar performance that they know that they can bank on like Mookie Betts and, and Mike Trout and Garrett Cole and whatever. And those are the only players who are actually getting paid close to their value because there's a, a myriad of concerns that team can, teams can cite when they're not giving out these contracts and mess. when no, none of the 30 teams are giving out contracts or when only a few of the 30 teams are giving out contracts, big contracts to players. Like, that's why the arbitration process matters, and that's why like paying attention to pre-arb and paying attention to arbitration cases and paying attention to which players are actually willing to take it. Because I think that Flaherty's stated position was that, you know, he he wanted to take it to salary arbitration on principle, and he was not willing to settle or meet in the middle between the three million and the three point nine million. Because look, dude, if I'm being underpaid a lot based on the value that I'm bringing to the team and I'm only asking for something modest, the least that you can do as an olive branch from the St. Louis Cardinals organization to Jack Flaherty, their best pitcher, I, I know I keep saying that, but he is their best pitcher by far. The least you can do as, as, as an olive branch is just be like, yeah, just accept what he asked for. But do you want to know what the, the Cardinals
2: did in 2019? And this comes from Craig Calcaterra Uh, his cup of coffee newsletter, which everyone should go subscribe to if you haven't already. Uh, He was getting paid 560K coming into the year. He had an outstanding performance, finished fourth in Cy Young voting. They offered him 600K, a little, you know, a modest raise because why not, right? You know, throw a few dollars his way. Jack Flaherty said, I'm not going to accept this. I'm going to go to arbitration. And they docked 10K from the offer that they were offering him. They came to the table with 590k. Just because he wanted to argue it. That's all. Just because he said I'm worth more than that. That's what owners think about players. Saying, "How dare you step out of line?"
1: I don't know, I like it's so complicated in the CBA like the the different like leverage points. You know that they could try to say, "Hey, this is where we can win big concessions back from the owners." But like I've come on here and said before best case scenario dream scenario is we're just done with we're just done with team control we're just done with arbitration and or even if you do have team control still even if teams do own your contract own your contract for the first 6 years or whatever there's no salary mechanism that intensely suppresses the salaries of young players because it just is so far out of whack at this point I don't see how we can continue on like this for an entire other CBA, I don't see how it doesn't turn into something much, much, much worse than we already have if we continue on like this after this current CBA. And we're gonna we're gonna do it
2: <laughs> after after this twenty minute discussion about arbitration, we're going to uh, we're gonna take a deep dive into arbitration, how it actually works, and and why it matters, and what is at stake at stake in the in the upcoming CBA. So stay tuned for that
1: because okay let's take a quick break and then uh, when we come back we'll hit on the minor leagues really quickly and we'll do uh, open season for this week Should we keep talking about arbitration, Alex? You think should, can I get another another takeoff about our arbitration? Can I relate it back to the the good working people of this of this world? It's the same Absolutely. reason that they can bring young people straight out of college and pay them less than uh, older folks who have been working at that company and putting in that time for forever. And it's the reason that they lay older employees off and replace them with young college grads who don't have any other choice because they don't have a ton of opportunities. It's all the same. It's all yep. the
2: exact same mechanisms. I'm going to my boss tomorrow and saying I demand a raise, and if not, I'm taking the a third salary party in here.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think you have that protection. I don't know. I haven't seen your contract, but I, I'm not sure if you have that option. <laughs> yeah, I don't,
2: I don't think I do. <laughs>
1: uh, speaking of not having protection,
2: uh, let's talk minor leagues.
1: Ooh, Ooh. cold but true transition.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, this this weekend, Major League Baseball. Announced the the formalized minor leagues as they will exist from here on out. Um, sorry, that's actually that's actually professional development leagues. Um,
1: that's how they're referring to them uh, now. They're changing the names because they saw the uh, shirts that we made and they knew that unionize the professional development leagues <laughs> doesn't look quite as good on the front of the T-shirt.
2: So you thought, Rob, we'll make that we'll make that look good. We'll make that look so good. unionize um, the p d l s <laughs> so this announcement comes with uh it, it basically they are saying we are we're bringing the minor leagues all under this one umbrella that's gonna allow us to regulate them a little bit more um they announced some modest pay increases uh i i'm I'm certain that it is. Not enough to compensate for how underpaid they are right now, but, you know, we'll take it. They, they've mentioned, you know, modernized facilities, reduced travels, which I know that they've, they've done a lot of work to get minor league uh, affiliates in the same general vicinity of their, their um, major league, their parent clubs. And, and most notably, they got rid of all the names of the minor league divisions. There is no more Pacific Coast League. There's no more international league, Florida State League.
1: It's all gone. Eastern League the, Hive, stand up.
2: That is never forget it,
1: Eastern League fans, you and me. Yep. Yeah. I, that is Triple A East to you. I don't. I'm not gonna say that. I'm just not. I'm not saying that. Now
2: there's no. There's I have no some guarantee dignity, that, Alex. <laughs> Now these names haven't technically been formalized yet, um, but my guess is if they <laughs> if they don't settle with these, we're gonna get like sponsored league names, you yeah. know? Yeah, like a
1: uh, like Meineke Car Care League or something.
2: Yeah, right. Exactly the the Duncan the Duncan Donuts League, the Duncan League. That sucks. This is. MLB is so, for a, for a sports league that's so indebted to its history and is so reverent about, like, how much rich and colorful history it has, this does such a disservice to, like, the weird history of the minor leagues, yeah. that is so endearing to a lot of people, right? The International League has literally been around longer than the American League in the major leagues, right? And you could argue it's just a name. Sure, it's just a name. It's just a league, whatever. But like to, to do this sort of thing without any sort of fanfare, to drop a press release on a Friday and say, oh, by the way, those or- reorganized minor league divisions, those renamed divisions... Yeah, they're all done. The PCL is gone. The International League is is gone. The Texas League, all that stuff is gone. And I'm kind of like, if you're going to kill the minors, at least acknowledge what they did for the sport for so long.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's another instance of me being like, just don't assume we're stupid. You know? Right. Just don't, if you want to go scorched earth to the sport that is baseball, And you want to try to monopolize it entirely and you want to make everything about Major League Baseball? Just tell me the truth. Because when they tweet this out and they say, MLB announces new minor league baseball model set to better serve fans, players, and clubs. It's like, oh, it better serves fans by taking minor league baseball out of 40 cities? What fans does that better serve? Oh, it better serves players by giving them less opportunities to make it, to hack it in the minor leagues? What players does that serve? Other than the ones that are getting the modest pay increase, though many people will still not be making livable wage because MLB has lobbied on their own behalf in Congress to get an exception to pay people minimum wage. Okay, here's the third part. Clubs. Yeah, I actually believe that one. I actually do think it'll better serve clubs. I yeah. think that they might have had a hand in this. You know, I don't think that Rob just went out there and was like, nah, I want to personally change minor league baseball structure. I think he might have had a little bit of input from those, from said clubs. I like that this is from the press release. Uh, Manfred's
2: quote is, we're excited to unveil this new model, which not only provides a pipeline to the majors, but continues the minor league's tradition of entertaining millions of families in hundreds of communities.
1: Well, it already did that. Yes, it was already doing that. (laughs) So what? All of the good things that you're saying, (laughs) all of the good things that you're saying about this new plan were things we already had. Yes. And now you're just doing it in a lesser vert in lesser scale so that you can save a little bit of money.
2: Is geographical alignment like probably a good thing for the minor leagues? Yeah. That's that's reasonable. Do I think that minor leaguers shouldn't be subjected to such awful um travel? Yeah, I do. But these are are more ills that are symbolic of how Major League Baseball just feels about minor leaguers in general, right? Yes. And, and speaks to the larger system that doesn't actually see them as valuable contributors to the Major League club worth investing in. Uh, and so they're, they're happy to say, oh, well, we'll, we'll make your travel conditions a little bit, a little bit better. We're not going to get you nicer buses or let you fly on planes, God forbid. But, you know, we'll put you 50 miles closer to the major league club so they can call you up when they see fit. Not that you'll get paid like a major leaguer until then. Sorry. This, Sorry to break it
1: to you. Yeah. This whole scenario, this whole situation from the very beginning has always just felt like, damn, get off our backs. That's, that's what it's felt like from the very beginning. Oh, you're mad that players don't make enough money? All right, we'll just cut the minor leagues. Now, how you feel. And it's always been a matter of principle that MLB doesn't take care of the minor leagues. Always. It's never been a matter of money because it doesn't take that much money to fix it. It doesn't. If clubs, co- if clubs committed $10 million to fixing their entire farm system and upgrading every single facility, upgrading all of the processes, paying players more, paying staff more, it would all be fixed tomorrow and they just chose not to, as a matter of principle, because of exactly what you said. Because they don't believe that minor leaguers deserve it. They don't think that they've earned it. Their stated position about the state of the world is that people should have to struggle until they make it to the very top. Because only a select few make it to the very top. And some people are already there, by birthright. Many of these owners. It's it's just bullshit, and it always has been bullshit. Like, It's not a matter of we're worried that we can't afford to help the minor leaguers oh it's it's very tough to help them out because these clubs operate their own finances. The only things that the teams have to pay or the only teams that the the only thing that the teams choose to pay is the player salaries because those players belong to the organization and they basically contract their work out to the minor league teams so Anything that they say that doesn't admit all of that is just, it's just bullshit. Sorry, Rob. And I want to read another tweet. I realize I'm breaking the rule again. But this one is from a real friend of the pod. Our friend Senator Bernie Sanders. (laughs) (laughs) This is about greed, plain and simple. Closing down minor league teams like the Vermont Lake Monsters is a disaster for baseball fans, workers, and communities across the country. I will do all I can to fight it. The reason that I read this tweet, Alex, is because I want to formally invite Senator Bernie Sanders on on the Tipping Pitches podcast. Formally, like we've never we've we've never done this before. We've definitely never said Bernie come on the pod before. This is definitely the first time we have ever invited him on the podcast, and I just want to put that call out. And I'm just going to continue to put that call out until until it happens. Just try speak it into existence, Bernie. Here's your platform, my friend. Thousands
2: of leftist baseball fans. Just waiting on pins and needles to hear you talk about the Vermont Lake monsters and the Brooklyn Cyclones. Give and give us the command, the man. We're waiting, <laughs> we're waiting to
1: hear what to do. We're armed and ready.
2: <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. This is it's still the it's still the kind of this is a storyline where we're not really going to see like the impact of it for years to come, I think. It's still kind of hard to zoom out and see what the ripple effect is going to be on the development pipeline of baseball, but it's, it's going to change. Things are going to look different. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of want to leave it at that. I don't want to speculate on, on what MLB nuking the minor leagues is going to mean for its major league product, but I can't imagine it's going to contribute.
1: I'll speculate for us when, when, okay. 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 When prospects are, developing at elon musk's mars colony instead of actually playing baseball in american cities and towns all across the united states at a cheap price where people can actually afford to watch and mlb is licensing the right to watch their workouts on the on the elon musk mars colony we'll think back to this moment when mlb started to uh delete 40 teams at a time that's my (laughs) speculation let's move on let's play some voicemails
3: Hey, Bobby and Alex. My name is Jake. I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm a Phillies fan. So obviously I'm not a fan of a small market team. Actually, you know, principal owner John Middleton and the Buck family have committed hundreds of millions of dollars in free agent contracts over the past few years. Um, but the thing that really bothers me about this ownership group is, you know, the Phillies have kind of masqueraded as – A family, which is kind of funny to say from the corporate ownership level, uh, for really decades now. And right at the beginning of the pandemic, they laid off 80 full-time employees. So as much as, you know, a lot of fans are happy and I guess rightfully so that we, you know, re-signed JT and ED and whatnot, um, it's really kind of come at the expense of slashing costs at real working class people's livelihoods. And I think. That's really messed up. Obviously, I think that goes without saying. Um, so, yeah, thanks, guys. Stay safe.
2: Yeah, really laying it all out there. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah thank mean, you, Jake. Nail on thank the you head
2: for. Thank you for calling in. Um, it's been, it has been a little bit of like a whiplash moment um, seeing the teams that uh, that laid off employees um, over the summer. Over the off season, um, turn around and then sign baseball players, or really spend any sort of money anywhere, because I was led to believe that a lot of these teams were in dire financial straits, and that's why they couldn't afford to to, to pay their the pencil pushers who really <laughs> make the whole operation run.
1: Yeah, I mean. They would have you think that, you know, the bank would be knocking at their door to liquidate the entire franchise if they didn't lay off these 100 people. It just gave them an excuse to make the changes that they always wanted to make on principle, not on finance, on principle. They just didn't want these people around anymore. So they laid them off and they use something as an excuse the way that many companies in this country do. They use something else as a scapegoat for laying these people off or they just were not willing to budge on their financial model to help workers in the middle of a, of, of a pandemic. Like they only had so much money set aside for what they consider to be non-essential elements of the organization. And that's, you know, hospitality workers that work for franchises and people who work in the front offices and scouts. And, and they keep that completely sequestered from the money that they deem as completely necessary for baseball operations. And that's, you know, player contracts and they're not willing to dip into one side to help the other. And I th- I mean I'll leave it up for our listeners to interpret how they feel about it, but I think that's bullshit. I think if you're an organization worth billions and billions of dollars that gets a lot of built-in help from the government already and could get even more built-in help if you really were up against it because of the pandemic, you could capitalize on some of that, you know, political capital that you've earned by being one of 30 baseball teams if you really needed the money and they just chose not to they just cut these people loose Phillies did it the Dodgers did it in a in a very 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 blatant way and then turned around and signed someone that nobody wanted for 45 million dollars a year yeah yeah they (laughs) I won't say nobody wanted him because probably most Dodgers fans are happy but you know. Right. Yeah. Nobody listening to this podcast wanted him. <laughs> <laughs> it's really upsetting. It's really upsetting. And there's no there's no like good answer for how you should feel about it. No, I
2: think that owners kind of expect baseball fans to not really have object permanence or 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 <laughs> so true. or like so true. Like, on, Put that on honestly, a t-shirt. <laughs> owners expect
1: us not to have object permanence,
2: right? Because it's like, hang on we we saw everything you guys were just doing back there. You guys were just crying poor um, over not being able to pay your employees because no one came to games this year. But you can afford to shell out, you know, a hundred two million dollars for a star player, which again. I'm not, I don't think anyone should be taking, I don't think that players should have to take a financial hit so that real working class people
1: can keep their job, can keep their jobs. Yes, exactly. Perhaps if the Dodgers did not have to commit so much money for legal fees for all the international crimes that they committed, they would have a little bit more money to keep some front office people around. Maybe just a thought.
2: (sighs) I think one last thing, and then we should move on. But I think Jake's point about um, the word family is really is really interesting and an important— I think it's important to point out the role that language plays in this, because baseball teams, as he mentioned, are so willing to talk about how close everyone is and how there's a real fabric, you know, a, a community that's like— woven us together, and, you know, we all look out for each other. But when push comes to shove, it's really looking out for the bottom line. Like, the courtesy that you extend to your employees only goes so far that it doesn't disrupt the money you are bringing in. And I just think, you know, I mean, that's what what billionaires do. I just think we should call it what it is. There's nothing that we're going to do to change that, but... Don't try and pretend like you we don't see what's going on here.
0: Hello, Tipping Pitches. As a Yankees fan who, who's seeing his team navigate under the luxury tax, I mean, it's infuriating that a team, like literally the New York Yankees, are doing that. And while I do understand that I've, I've heard reports that how Steinbrenner is, is furious that the Tampa Bay Rays are receiving money from them and spending nothing. And I guess I get that because it's absolute bullshit and the Razors are, are bad for baseball. Having just moved to Denver last summer, I'm just grateful that, that my ownership is not Dick Montfort and my GM is not Jeff Bridich, And I have Brian Cashman and, and, dear God, the Nolan Arenado trade. The, the presser was horrible. I don't know how much you saw. And it is disappointing that the media – Not everybody is really taking them to town, but I will say, uh, I don't know if you saw, but Mark Kerrig of the Athletic published a piece that was absolute like hysterical comedy, tearing them, tearing them a new one. And Woody Page, um, ESPN talking head, actually went on the presser and straight up asked them to their face, um, asked the owner why he hadn't fired Jeff Bridge. Uh, was he going to fire Jeff British and then also why the owner hadn't fired himself. So so that was a pretty good question, um, and, and I very much appreciated that moment. It was very much catharsis. Thank you for all you do. I love your podcast and keep me entertained during the week. Um, yeah, thanks, guys.
1: Where to start? Wow, this is such a... I love it. We we went from starting complaining about how the Yankees won't spend up to luxury tax, to then just and Jeff, Friday to a new one. Where do you want to start, Alex?
2: Uh, more reporters should ask owners why they haven't fired themselves <laughs> yet. That's, oh, that's where I want to start and end.
1: <laughs> uh, well, first of all, thank you for calling. I don't even think we got your name, but thank you so much for calling and thank you for the kind words about the podcast. Um, I mean, we said our piece about the Nell and Trade, right? We, saw, we, we talked about the presser a little bit and it's obviously just a, such a sham. Uh, baseball teams would rather cut their losses financially, even though they're not losses. They'd rather hoard money financially than actually employ good baseball players. Um, But let's jump back to the Yankees quickly because, you know, we get on the Rays and we get on the Pirates and we get on, you know, small market teams for not spending up to their potential. Um, But we don't frequently spend a lot of time just because we don't have the the airspace to criticize teams like the Yankees for treating the, the luxury tax threshold, the competitive balance tax threshold, uh, for treating it basically like a salary cap, which is what teams have done since this has been in place in the most recent CBA. And for, first of all, how do you feel about that?
2: For some reason, I've just never really entirely thought this through. What I will say is I yeah. care more about the fact that Teams like the pirates aren't spending than I do about the Yankees not spending, but I think again, this is another situation where it's bullshit to pretend like this is something that it isn't, you know, like let's call it a salary cap and we'll call it a day rather than this like weird, competitive luxury tax etc. that no team is interested in going over anyway, even though they could 100% afford it. So, like, I I mostly just feel kind of, like, insulted. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I suppose I should have a
1: coherent political take on it, but... I think the biggest problem with it is that it's named the competitive balance tax, but if the teams that it's designed to actually help don't actually spend up near it also, then it's not actually balancing competition. What it's just serving as is an excuse for the very rich teams to not actually spend more than it. And to, offend, <laughs> in effect, put a ceiling on what teams are actually willing to spend. Therefore, put a ceiling on what the players as a collective are actually able to make.
2: I just want to read a quote real quick from Clayton Kershaw that was in the LA Times this past week that feels relevant to this conversation about team competitiveness. This is in a, uh, in a Q&A with uh, Jorge Castillo. If you want to read the whole thing, it's in the description. It's worth your time. Um, but he's asked about uh, baseball's economics and tanking specifically. And he says, I don't have a firm enough grasp on the economics to, to make a serious answer on a lot of this stuff. But what I do know is that some teams are having the ability to do all this stuff and go get guys And it's teams that you wouldn't expect. And it's teams that shouldn't have more money than other teams. The Rays maybe get a pass because they've proven they can have success doing that. Other than them, Oakland's had success, but I don't think any other team gets a pass. You've got to spend money to win. And then I don't think this rebuilding approach, losing 100 games for a few years and then turning it around works. There's only going to be one team that does that a year, potentially. (laughs) There's a lot of smart guys in front offices. Figure something out that's easier to do than trading away a star. Just for example, a potential Cy Young Award winner in Hugh Darvis, who's been one of the top five pitchers in baseball for a year and a half, for prospects that could potentially good, be good, but they're 17 or 18 years old. For the Chicago Cubs to do that, it's not good. It's just not good. And I think, at, first of all, Clayton Kershaw come on the podcast. Obligatory.
1: Wait, we're going to have to... Clear, clear, our schedules because we just invited so many people on the podcast <laughs> this week.
2: But I think he hits on on the the first part of this uh, this call, this voicemail, which is when you have ostensibly the big market, big spending teams in baseball who all of a sudden feel compelled to drastically slash cuts to dr- drastically slash costs when you have teams like the San Diego Padres who up until this year, many people maybe erroneously would have called them a quote unquote small market team, and yet here they are, their owner is still a billionaire like the rest of major league baseball owners, and so they said, Fuck it, we'll capitalize on that right yeah and- I, I
1: still haven't gotten To your point, and to Kershaw's point, which is weird. (laughs) He's like the invisible third co-host of the podcast right now. But exactly, I still haven't gotten a viable explanation for why the Padres can afford to go all in and spend all this money, and the Cubs can't, right? Or the Orioles can't. Like, are are you really trying to tell me that the Cubs need to cut payroll? because they haven't been quite as good for the last couple years as they were when they won in 2016? Are you trying to say that the Cubs are making less money than the Padres? Or is this supposed to be for competitive reasons? Yeah, that's... Because it seems pretty anti-competitive to me. When
2: you have the entire league whining about how much money they lost over the last year and that's why they can't spend any money, when you have the entire league doing that and then the San Diego Padres just kind of flying in the face of that entire narrative, it maybe leads you to believe that something is amiss regarding all the owners who are crying poor, right? In theory, San Diego Padres should be just as affected by everything that has taken place over the last year. And yet, they've said, fuck it, chips all in, let's do this. I don't know where that leaves us, we yeah. had a lot of a lot of input from a lot of different people here, but um.
1: <laughs> let's go to our final voicemail. It's actually not a voicemail. Let's go to an email that we got sent in by uh, listener Jamie. Um, and you know, I did promise that you would read all the emails, Alex. Luckily for you, Jamie did not specify a specific character that you had to play in this email, despite the fact that I laid out that option. That's good. That's good. It's a big time um, big time oversight, but. I can read it too. Missed want. opportunity. Do you want a popcorn? This one? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it's fine. I got it. Well, let's let's run through this. Um, I'd like to submit to the open season bit, a beautiful homage to the lovely Paul Dolan of Cleveland, uh, a that's man who guy. said he wouldn't. That's that's our fucking guy right there. A man who said he wouldn't sign three hundred million dollar contracts until other teams were signing billion dollar contracts. <laughs> who told fans he flew economy thinking it would relate to them and not give away that he's even cheaper than we all knew. Which, I didn't know that, and if that's true, I mean, I, I guess I didn't think my opinion of him could sink any lower. Maybe he but, just
1: likes the you know. pretzels. I don't know. I like the pretzels. They're good.
2: You know, that's it keeps you grinding, you know? It keeps you humble of knowing, knowing what you could fall down to.
1: Yeah, sometimes they give you a whole can of soda.
2: The impending uh, Lindor departure had been the worst-kept secret since he was called up in 2015. If you were a living, breathing organism, you knew there was no chance in hell Dolan would resign him. Uh, Within a year of calling Lindor up, the team came within a rain delay of winning World Series, which and fan support reached a crescendo. For the last five years, the team has possessed a generational shortstop and franchise cornerstone, Dark Horse MVP candidate at third base. Love you, Jose Ramirez. King and a scouting development team that breeds Cy Young-caliber pitchers. And what do you do with it? Well, as Jamie goes on to outline, absolutely nothing. <laughs>
3: uh, That's instead a good of going
2: in, <laughs> Instead of going in with this talent, uh, the roster's dwindled down to uh, a crew the majority of fans have to Google who know who they are, which is incredibly true. And, uh, and Jamie encourages you to uh, enjoy having an owner whose net worth is 14 billion dollars and he actually fucking acts like it all about so. money
1: bro get your net worth up mlb owners <laughs> um first of all i want to say this this email the imagery in it is very very powerful nice writing it by is jamie very powerful yes and yeah. extremely accurate um thank you for giving us another reason to dump on paul dolan and think about shane bieber um i don't even know where to begin on this one First of all, I want to say thank you for Francisco Lindor. I will treat him as well as I possibly can and welcome him with open arms. My Francisco Lindor jersey is already on the way. So (laughs) I know that doesn't make you feel better, Jamie, but I'm doing my best. Um, You know, I think Cleveland fans have been among the most blatantly dumped on fan base, fan bases in baseball. Because you could say with a franchise, like let's let's say the Mariners, Alex, where they haven't made the playoffs. In so long, and they have a GM in Jerry Depoto who, you know, say what you want about Depoto, he's trying really hard to make something happen. I don't know what he's trying to make happen, but he's trying to do something. And he has, uh, I I guess a, some vision that I don't, I can't envision, but he can. But with Cleveland, it seems like the name of the game is just to develop stars with the explicit purpose that you can turn the stars into value. There's no winning the World Series in the equation at all. By all accounts, 2016 was just a stroke of luck in terms of franchise direction. It just happened that the talent coalesced at that time. They didn't really say, we're going all in here now because what they've done since then with that same core that they could have continued to go all in on with most of those players still being at or near that same peak that they were at in 2016. What they've done since then is just send all of those players out of town and they keep developing good players. So there's no reason that they couldn't have used that same core to have won a world series since then. And they just chose not to do it. So I, I have a lot of sympathy for Cleveland fans for that reason. Um, it takes a lot to get a Dolan out of an ownership office, though. As Knicks fans have found out the hard way.
2: <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, I don't have a lot of uh, oxygen I'd like to expend um, on Paul Dolan. So so we can just leave it at that. But my heart goes out to you, Jamie. Uh, and and thank you to to everyone who called in. If you want to call in, have a grievance about your owner, hit our line, 785-422-5881.
1: And if you did call in and we didn't, listen to your voicemail on this episode don't worry we know it's there we see it still we're rolling it over into next week we don't want to make every podcast you know a full hour and a half for you guys
0: okay Okay.
1: so if I have it correct the formal invites for this week's episode of tipping pitches are Ross Stripling Bernie Sanders and Clayton Kershaw anyone else not, not that we've discussed
2: here. Although you know there are a couple other people I'd be happy to have on.
1: Yeah, I would. I would. I would open up the line for future met Matt, Matt Chapman. God, that's too far. Mean. Too far. That's <laughs> that's dumb. <laughs> Saved it for the I end wanna... so that you couldn't storm out of the podcast in a huff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right.
2: I want to open up the line um, to major league baseball players who are interested in dating uh young fascists with blonde hair. Okay. JP Arancibia. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I really um, don't know where you're going. <laughs> former uh former catcher, former not very good catcher of the uh of the Toronto Blue Jays. Can you if I say if I say Fascists with with long blonde hair. Who do you? Who's your mind go to? Tommy laren Yep. Yeah. Let's fucking go. Let's get it. Are they dating?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you? are
2: Celebrating their first Valentine's Day together. I. Oh, I. I thought you maybe you were tuned in more closely to J Pierre and Sebia and and like his just kind of, you
1: know, his personal. Yeah, life. his general personal life. Yeah. Well, living in Florida, doing doing the damn thing. Has he ever been? Has he ever? been on a team with Sean Gilmartin or no. I thought maybe they could have commiserated over their taste in fascist <laughs> <Right>. women. <laughs> <laughs> I said, did, so do you think
2: you really incited it or no?" Probably not, right? <laughs> I mean, don't don't go through his Twitter likes. I'm just I'm just going to say that. Jesus. Anyway, you can uh, see him um on a uh, Fox sports Miami as a commentator for the Marlins. So let's go fish, go fish. Wonderful.
1: Um, okay. That's it for the podcast this week. I think that I thought what you were going to say is that you were going to open it up for any baseball players who were interested in dating, um, former Disney channel stars. And I thought you were going to bring this to Cole Tucker and Vanessa Hudgens who are dating. Which oh, is like the are they really the coolest thing that happened to the pirates since Andrew McCutcheon was on the team.
2: <laughs> wow. That's I'm I'm happy for them. Yeah, she posted I about it. she posted this on goes. the
1: Insta for, for Valentine's Day.
2: So it's legit. A few a few months ago, uh, when we talked about Sean Gilmartin, who was dating is married to the former the now former press secretary Kaylee
1: Mac- 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 McEnany. yeah McEnany. yeah
2: i ask you if, if Sean Gilmartin, who's dating Kaylee McEnany, Kaylee Mac Kaylee Macaroni uh, <laughs> of the the former pr- uh, press secretary of the US if she is the, the, the most <laughs> i don't think that's the official I can't title even get through this <laughs> she's just the united states press secretary i mean kind she kind of is the fucking mouthpiece
1: Yeah, she's the, she is, yes. We know who Kaylee McEnany is.
2: Like, is, does Vanessa Hudgens' star outshine that? 100%, right? Yeah. Vanessa Hudgens is now the most famous significant other.
1: Of a current baseball player?
2: Of a current baseball player, right?
1: Because otherwise it would be J-Lo. Yeah, I think so. Vanessa Hudgens holding the title. I'll do more research on it and I'll let you know next week. Last invite is to any Major League Baseball player who wants to come on the podcast and talk about all the shit that their team said about them in salary arbitration. (laughs) Facts. Anytime. You're more than welcome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tipping Pitches. We will be back on our normal schedule next week on Monday.
0: Uh, I'm
1: Alex Rodriguez tipping pitches this is the one that I love the most so we'll see
0: you next week see ya